Welcome back to the Ngachi Trust Podcast with your host, Kitri Cooper. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of our Romans series. I am digging this series already, and we only did the first chapter, and you know, now that we're we're on to the second chapter, I am super excited. But welcome back to those of you who are regular listeners. Thank you for listening, and welcome to my first-time listeners. Um, you know, my name is Kitri, and hi be on this journey with me of just trying to figure out things in life, <laughs> right? And um, I'm just very glad and honored that you guys are here. Last week, we started in the very first book of Romans. It was a little bit of a difficult chapter, you know. I mean, I mean, if you know, you know. If you haven't uh, gone back and listened to the first chapter, I suggest you do so. Um, but before we dive in, let's again pray like we did last time. Lord Jesus, please come here and open our minds, open our hearts to your wisdom and your knowledge that you want to impart upon us today. Amen. Short and sweet, to the point. Um, all right, so last episode, we were looking at the very first chapter and in the in the above or, you know, last chapter, Paul was addressing the sins of the pagans or the people who are not believers or, you know, s- stuff like that. So, um, you know, with that, the Jews are probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, you go after those dirty, b- dirty pagans, right? You go after all of those people. And, you know, it was talking about a lot of like a lot of sin and a lot of um, selfish fleshly desires and um, I bet when, you know, the Roman people, uh, were reading that they were probably like, oh, absolutely. Amen, Paul. He might've even gotten a couple testifies, you know what I mean? And because it, it was just talking about how they invent new ways of sinning and they're heartless and they have no mercy and, you know, all of that stuff. And so the Jews reading this letter would have probably high-fived him gotten a lot of amens. Um, I'm such an amen girl in church. Like if you sit next to me and I'm agreeing with what the pastor is saying, I'm absolutely like, amen, come on now. Yep. Let's do it. Preach it. You know, like I am that type of girl. And if that drives you nuts, well, then we just don't have to sit together in church, but we can still go together in church. Right. But that is, that is me, which is funny. Cause I never used to be that type. I was always like, you sit down, you be quiet. You don't look at anyone. You just listen all the things. Right. Um, but So I'm like such an amen girl. And one thing I have noticed is like in, in my church or just like in other churches that I've been to, um, when you go to church and you hear a bunch of amens, it's usually because it's, um, it's not necessarily something those people struggle with, right? It's usually like, um, when you're like saying amen, it's like, oh yes, I totally agree with that. But when everyone is silent or like the congregation is like pretty quiet and there's maybe a couple amens, but not a lot, um, from what my experience is, it's usually because like that sermon is convicting them of something, um, that like, I'm definitely the type of person where if I like, if I don't struggle with a certain sin, I will amen 
everything, right? But then if like they hit on something that I am struggling with or something that I need help on, I'm silent, silent, right? And so in the first chapter, the Jews probably would have been like hooping and hollering and it probably would have sounded something like this. Like, yes, Paul, absolutely. You preach about those dirty, nasty heathens and pagans, you know. And then Paul decides to write the second chapter. And, you know, he turns in his attention to church people in the second chapter. And what we're going to find out is probably, in my opinion, after we read the second chapter, we're just going to kind of see how the, um, how the Jews would have responded to this. So today, we are in Romans chapter 2, and once again, we are going through the whole chapter. And so, first chapter was was a letter given to, you know, more like pagan people, um, heathen people. And heathen just means like unbeliever, right? And then the second chapter, um, Paul is going to be addressing people of the church, the Jews, okay? So Romans 2, ch- starting in verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews, who do have God's law, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law does not make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. 
You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than the uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not people. So I bet this is just my my interpretation that once the Jews read chapter two, it went from hooping and hooping and hollering to absolute silence, absolute crickets, right? And so let's just start breaking down the text. So in a lot of um, in a lot of um, different translations, the word therefore is is right there. And I did read it out of the New Living Translation, so it's not there. However, if you go to like the Christian Standard Bible, which is one of my favorites, it says, "Therefore, each one of you who judges is without excuse." So one of my pastors from my um, from a while ago, he said, "Therefore, you always have to look at what the word therefore is there." For what is it there for? And so it's concluding that the above statements, and so now Paul is moving on. Therefore, can also mean um, because of these things. Okay, so that's why this chapter usually starts off with the word therefore. He's like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm finishing up what I just what I just preached over here, and you know because of these things, we're going to move on. So with the above sins, some Jews could have thought that Paul was referring to just Gentiles or pagans or heathens, but Paul wanted to be very clear to the to those of a religious background that they are no better. Just because you're a Jew does not mean you're in good standing with God. And so just because we claim to be Christians doesn't mean we are are perfect and in right standing with God. Don't don't get it twisted. A lot of times people think, oh, well, I go to church every Sunday. I'm fine. I'm in God's good graces. Um, you know, I was born into a Christian family. I grew up Christian, yada, yada. Like that was a lot of the mindset that I used to have because I grew up in the church and I grew up Christian. So I'm like, oh, I'm totally fine. You know, but he's like, no, 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 no. What he's saying is don't be a hypocrite. We have to be very careful in pointing out the sins of others. 
we are called to like to call out the sin in each other and to help each other get out of sin. But we have to do so with humility and make sure we aren't committing the same sin just in a different manner. Right. So like, are we gossiping freely about others? And then, you know, we get really, really mad when we hear somebody else gossiping about us. You know, we can't we can't do that. And so even though it doesn't necessarily look the same, but the same sin comes in a different wrapper, it's still hypocrisy. And so you know, a lot of people take like the don't judge verses as we are never allowed to point out the sin in somebody else. But I disagree. I think we are actually called to call each other out so we can call each other up. Right. As Christians and as fellow church people, if you are calling yourself a follower of Christ or a Christian, that means that you get to Number one, hold yourself accountable. Um, you And then, you know, we also have to hold each other accountable. Now, we have to do it in humility and love because um, there is a, there's a verse that says, if there is uh, no love with truth we are speaking, we are as annoying as clanging symbols, which means we're just making noise, okay? So we are called to call out the sin in each other. You know, we want to make sure we get out of sin, but we just have to make sure that we are not being a hypocrite, okay? And then the verse where it talks about, where it says, do you despise, I'm back in the Christian Standard Bible now, it says, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, okay? I really, really like that. Um, God's kindness and mercy lead us to repentance. But sometimes we take his patience and his kindness as acceptance. And we sometimes think that he's turning a blind eye to our sin. Once again, don't get it twisted, honey. He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He might not deal with it right away, but he will deal with it eventually. However, that does not mean that if you're working on a sin, if you're working on getting something taken out of your life, you, you might have a slip up. And that's okay. That's why he's kind and he's merciful and he's patient. However, if he knows that your heart is not turning and you're just using, you know, God's grace as like a covering all sin so you can do whatever you want type thing, don't get it twisted. He's not going to turn a blind eye to it. Yes, it is grace through faith that we are saved. But in knowing that, we are also to be very careful of who we point our finger at because with the one finger you point at someone else, there's always three more pointing back at you. That is something my mama always said. You know, if you're pointing the finger at somebody else, you have to be, you have to be aware that there's three pointing back at you. We have to make sure that we are going to God and asking him to expose our sins. And y'all, that is a very terrifying pray, prayer to pray. I've done that. And he's, and he's like, all right, cool. You gave me a permission. I'm going to do it, right? It, but um, it's important that we do that. Like be like, Lord, what is it in my life that you want out of my heart? What is something that I am doing in my life that needs to be gone? You know, it, we talked about in previous episodes, how he is like a, a refiner of gold or a refiner of silver and how you get the impurities to the surface is by heating up those impurities. And so when he wants to, to bring you up, that means he has to bring the crap out as well. And so 
we need to we need to have him expose our sins and we also need to allow church people to hold us accountable and expose our sins as well now once again we have to do it in grace love and humility but a lot of times people say oh well you can't tell me not to sin because you sin and it says you know you you can't judge no it's saying you can't judge if you are being a hypocrite because of the manner it, i believe it's Matthew 7 7 where it says in the manner that you judge, you will also be judged. Do not be a hypocrite. And so we need to make sure that if we're going to point out the sins in somebody else's life, we cannot have that same sin. Now, I am not saying we're going to be perfect because until Christ comes back and he glorifies us in our bodies, we are always going to be in a sinful, lustful body that we have to kill every day, right? Um, like kill the flesh spiritually, okay? Um, But we need to also make sure that when we ask God to expose our sins or when somebody else is like, hey, man, you're not supposed to be doing this. Like, you're better than this. I love you. Like, this is not the life that God has called you to. This is not the life of of a Christian. We need to make sure that, you know, like, let's get you on the same path. Take correction, Take the correction. Proverbs 10, 17 says, the one who follows instruction is on the path to life, but the one who rejects correction goes astray. I can 100% attest to this because when people were calling me out of how I was living in my last life, I rejected the correction and it led me more astray. But it literally says the one who follows instruction is on the path to life. And what is, what is the best instruction that we get? It's the instructions in scripture. It's the instructions that God gives us through his word. Those are the instructions we are supposed to obey. And what that means we're supposed to, we are supposed to obey all of them, not just some of them, not just the ones that we like, all of them right? And God is going to be kind and patient with us as we get it together because sometimes when we come to Christ, there are certain sins that are going to take a little bit of time. And this is one thing that I've, I've um, you know, kind of criticized church on is that we think that once you accept Christ that all sin has to stop immediately and you have to have this huge radical transformation. We want it instantaneously, right? I, I always think that sometimes church people have this McDonald's type aspect view of church it's like oh it just needs to be instant whatever but no sometimes like the best meals I've ever had I've had to sit and wait for for hours there was this one meal I had when I was in Italy and it was normal to sit and wait for an hour before your food came but then when the food came it was so good and sometimes we just have to understand that in the waiting process it might take a little bit longer but the end result is going to be so much better right? We can't have this instantaneous mentality when it comes to others coming to Christ and walking away from sin. We should be actively trying to, to live better, but it might take a little bit of time. But once again, we have to remember that God is patient and kind with us, but we can't continue sinning purposely just thinking, oh, he's going to forgive me. Proverbs 19, 20 and 21 says, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Many palms, is that right? Many palms, I I think that's a typo on my notes. (laughs) 
Hold on. I'm reading this off of my notes. I need to go to Proverbs and read it from the Bible. One second. Because I feel like I did a massive typo there. Real and raw moment. Real and raw moment. Here we go. Listen to counsel and receive instruction so you that me so that you may be wise later in life. Many plans, it's plans, not palms. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. So Paul also points out that there is no human ever on earth that is going to escape the judgment of God. And we are all going to stand before him one day and give an account to him for our words and our deeds. There are two types of judgments that are going to happen. One is for the unbeliever and one is for the believer. There's two separate judgments when it comes to judgment day. So what he's saying is we all participate in sin. We just can't point out a sin of, uh, let's say, someone stealing from a convenience store while we cheat on our taxes. Just because the thievery looks different, it is still theft, right? All right, so now in verse 7, Paul might seem like he's kind of contradicting himself in a little way um, because it says eternal life to those who seek by persistence and doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. So this could kind of like seem like he's contradicting himself with what he's really big on, which that is that we are saved by grace through faith. This is why we have to look at scripture in context and not just cherry pick out verses. Because what he's getting at here is that if you call yourself a believer, a follower, we also have to obey God's laws. We were given grace and salvation for our past life. But God does not want us to live in the very same lifestyle that he saved us from. In verse 8, it is saying that to those of us who do not obey truth and live self-seeking desires, it includes wrath, anguish, and tribulation. As Paul first stated in chapter 1, Um, He was saying salvation was first given to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? So he was saying, yes, this, this book was written by Jews for Jews, but God is so gracious and so merciful and so loving that he's like, you know what? If anyone wants to hop on this bandwagon, let them hop on because I I created everyone. So he's making a point in verse nine that the judgment will also come first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God shows no partiality, no favoritism. Just because you were born a church person, you're still going to be held accountable for what we did. If you never walk foot in a church, never read a Bible, you are still going to be held accountable for what you did. Um, because it also said back in, uh, in chapter one that literally we're without excuse. Um, and he, he's going to judge us based on our, our works, not our families, not our friends, nothing but our, but our works. And he's saying in verse 10 that to those who practice what is good will be given peace, glory, and honor. But once again, the person who works what is good will also have to have had accepted Christ as his salvation. The Bible talks about rewards of the believer that we'll get in heaven. Um, it's in... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Um, 
And so that's where I want to go next. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's literally just like two books. Next. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So no one's getting out of being judged. God's potential reward or punishment for good or evil will be given to everybody. In the same way, God's judgment on sin and the potential reward for good living will be given first to the Jews and then to others. So Paul is kind of making two categories in this in this area. One category is for those who lead a good life. They will be given eternal life. And the second is for those who are self-seeking. They will earn God's wrath no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And so this can seem like it's a case built on just works alone. But in this next statement, he puts a complete squash to that because literally no one on earth can live a good enough life to earn salvation through works. Um, so that's that's kind of where we see that. So now moving into, you know, verses 12 to 16, he addresses those who think the law will save them. And I, something really caught my eye. It's in, I believe it's 13. Yeah. For hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but doers of the law will be justified. So it doesn't matter how many times we go to church and we listen to the sermon. Paul is putting a squash on that. Like, that's not good enough. Like, we are not supposed to just hear the word. That's not what makes us saved. It's what we do with the word of God that God gives us. And that that was something that really caught my eye. And then, so let's kind of look at this. So the law of the Old Testament was given by God to the Jews to cleanse them of their unrighteousness and for salvation. Um, So before Christ came, the only way of salvation was through these laws, through these sacrifices, through through these um, different things and rituals, things that they had to do. Such laws included like what to wear, when to work, when not to work, sacrificing animals, what animals to sacrifice, how you're supposed to do it, how long you're supposed to leave them on the altar, you know, as a way to cleanse them of their sins, you know, to give glory to God, all of this stuff. And so if you count up like how many Old Testament laws there were, there was 613 Old Testament laws that Jews extracted from scripture that they had to follow. So back then... Um, if they, you know, followed all of these laws, they thought they were good to go, but sometimes their hearts were still bitter and hard. We can really, really see that, um, in the Pharisees that Christ was constantly coming against. Like, he's like, dude, you're just not getting it. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, you worked on a Sabbath. But Jesus is like, I literally healed somebody who's never walked before in their life. Like, what are you doing, broski? What are you doing? You know, oh my gosh, you can't, you can't do that that's a horrible day and you, you must be blaspheming and you know, that could only be God. And Jesus is like, Hmm, funny, you know? So they, they just missed a lot of things. 
because their hearts were so hardened by the law that they forgot the heart posture to love God. So their hearts were bitter and hard. And you can find these laws that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 for, and, uh, you know, for more detailed and specific ones. The, uh, the one in Exodus 20, those are the Ten Commandments. Everyone knows that. But here Paul is making two categories in verses 12 through 6. It says um, those who sin apart from the law and those who sin under the law. So both categories start with those who have sinned. So that automatically puts every single human into one of these categories. Church people or non-church people, believers or non-believers, Jews or Gentiles, everyone has sinned. So he's once again going back to, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you've still sinned, so you need the grace and the salvation of Christ. Um, but every human goes into those categories. So only Jesus, if there is to be like a third category, only Jesus would make up that other third category of those who have not sinned. But it says he became sin for us so that we can be cleansed. And so when God sees you, my, my beautiful human listening to me, when God sees you, he does not see your ickiness. He does not see your sin. He sees Christ when you accept him. And that's something that's just so beautiful. Um, so if the Jews had adhered to the law, they would be judged by the law. Sin is still sin, whether, you know, they followed the law of Moses or not. Paul is making it very clear that even if you're a Jew and you follow the law of Moses, you are still going to be judged. He's putting a big kibosh right now on their religious duties and their religious rituals and everything else. And then in verse 15, it talks about knowledge. And this is something that, that also really struck me. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either excuse or excuse me, either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. So here it's kind of like, regardless of what you know or didn't know, we're still going to be judged. And so we're not going to be punished for what we didn't know. God is, it says God is merciful. So if we didn't know something, he's not going to be like, why didn't you, do, why didn't you know that? If we just didn't know it, but we are going to be judged according to what we know. So even somebody who has never cracked the book of the Bible open ever in their life, we are given something in our, in our being, which is our consciences that tell us I shouldn't do that. I should do this. You know, there, there's always something in us. And I, I believe that you know, this is just my belief that that was put there because we were supposed to be, um, connected with God. And so we were built with what, with what is good in us, but the fall of man severed that. And so we kind of know in us, even if we've never heard about God, we kind of know what's good and right because of the consciences, right? And so, and other people refer, refer to it as our moral compass. And, and, but every culture in the world, if you look at every culture in the world, murder is forbidden or against the law. However, people still murder. I mean, we just, humans just want to do what we want to do, but we know it's wrong. 
because in every culture, murder is wrong. So we won't be condemned or judged by what we don't know. However, we will be judged based on what we do with what we do know. We will be judged based on what we do with what we do know. And as it stated in Romans 1, 18 through 20, we are all without excuse. Ultimately, the verdict is still the same. All will sin and all will be judged according to their sin. And so that's kind of like the first like big chunk. Now we're going to be kind of looking at verses 17 through 24. And this is where he kind of turns to like people who teach the law. You know, it says, if you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law and boast in God and know his will, approve things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you also rob temples? So he it's it's very easy to get sucked into always teaching others and giving others pointers. And it's very easy as church people and maybe even church people who are teachers or people who have like a ministry. So this this even includes me. I consider myself, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can I consider myself a teacher, but what I'm doing is kind of teaching. Um, and so I take it, I take it very seriously, but hopefully I don't take myself too seriously, but I take this very seriously. Um, But the Jews in this part of scripture were being very hypocritical. They were teaching others how to be and what to do, how to act, uh, but they themselves were not adhering to it themselves. Just being a Jew and having the law or having the Torah was not enough. Paul is saying that the law is more and just knowing the word and hearing the word or being like, oh, you can't do this because according to the law, you have to, you know what I mean? And Paul's like, no, fam. We can't please God through our religious works. The only way we can please God is by our faith. By our faith. Hebrews 11 Verse six literally says this exact same exact thing. It says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. So he's saying any work that you do where your heart is not in it because you love him, it's dead and it does nothing for you. It is your faith and your belief that pleases God. Because of the heart posture that these Jews took, Paul just wrote a lot of pointed questions towards the Jews starting in verse 21. Right? I read some of those like, oh, do you steal? Do you tell people not to steal? Do you commit adultery, but you also commit adultery? You know, all of that stuff. And so I was trying to think, what are some questions that would, like, 
that are more pointed towards the culture of our time. So I'm just going to ask some questions that I think can pertain to our culture. So if Paul was writing this letter to us, would he say, do you tell people not to gossip, but you're the first one to run to your bestie and tell them the juicy things about somebody you know? Do you say cheating on your spouse is wrong, but do you also watch pornography? We break God's heart by having this heart posture. And when we don't look in on ourselves and reflect on our own sins, it just makes us hypocritical. It just makes us a clinging symbol. It just makes us, and God is just like, dude, you're not getting it. Right? Just because you aren't cheating physically on your spouse, like maybe somebody else you know is, doesn't mean you aren't still committing adultery on your spouse by watching pornography. And that's just like one example that I could think of. But, or, you know, just because, uh, let's say you don't steal from a store doesn't mean you also aren't stealing from someone if you just refuse to give them somebody what is rightfully theirs. Just because our sins come in a different wrapper does not means, does not mean that our hands are clean. So remember, we just cannot be hypocritical. And then we get into verse, verses 25 through verses 29. And this is talking about circumcision. And so circumcision was big for the Jews because it was an outward physical sign of being God's chosen people. So I want you to flip with me, please, to Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to go to verse 9. It says, God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant, as a covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This was God's way of saying, I have to distinguish you between other people. I have to make it not just known to you in your mind, not just, you know, that people are like, oh yeah, that's God's chosen people. How could they tell? Well, it's a little painful, (laughs) but that was the sign. And so it was like, And it was also, I believe, a sign to the Israelites and to the men that that is a very intimate place. And so, like, every time you look down at your penis, you're going to be reminded of the covenant that I have with you. So it was an outward sign of a covenant that God made with those people. And whenever God makes a covenant with someone, blood has to be shed. It is binding. 
that way. And it, those covenants with where blood was shed was always a foreshadowing to the blood that Jesus was going to shed as our sacrifice. God used sacrifices of animals as an Old Testament covenant to cleanse them of sins. When the Jews agreed to be God's chosen people, they had to circumcise themselves. When God gave us Christ and a new covenant, he died and shed his blood. Um, another one is um, when a man and a woman and are a covenant with each other in marriage and they have sex. And this is a, um, if the woman was a virgin, which was a very, very, very big thing back then. If women were not virgins, they could not be married. Um, the that blood would be shed by the woman's hymen being torn during sexual intercourse. So circumcision was a very big thing. And those who were not circumcised, also known as the Gentiles, were looked down upon by the Jews. The Jews were like, we are God's chosen people. We are higher than you because I'm circumcised. And God told us to circumcise ourselves. But here... Like Paul is literally like punching thousands of years old tradition in the face is the only way I can put it. Um, he's saying that your circumcision means nothing if they are not obedient to the Lord. God would rather have the uncircumcised who walks in righteousness and goodness with a heart for God than a Jew who has a hard and cold heart, who just maybe does the religious motions and is circumcised. So let me put this into today's terms. Just going to church and calling, your Christ- and calling yourself a Christian is not enough. Just being baptized isn't enough. Just being a member of a church isn't enough. Just taking communion isn't enough. If your heart isn't in it, if your heart hasn't changed, That stuff doesn't mean anything if we disobey God and his word. It doesn't mean anything if we disobey God and his word. He would rather have a tattooed former drug addict who has turned from his ways and loves God and obeys his word than someone who merely just warms the pew every Sunday in church. If we are circumcised, and are faithful to the law, he's saying, great. If you're, circ- if you're a Jew and you're circumcised and, circumcised and you're faithful to the law, awesome. If we have a heart for God and obey his law and his word, then that's amazing. But he's saying, I don't care if you're circumcised. I don't care if you were born a Jew. If your heart isn't for me, it means nothing. What's the, there's a verse that says, I, I require mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, I want your heart. And so then going into verses 28 and 29, they say this, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the law. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. To be a Jew meant you were God's chosen people, his chosen family. But now Paul is saying you are now a Jew based on your inward heart posture and not your outward religious acts or your outward fleshly signs such as circumcision. So what this, what this does, y'all, is this all comes down 
to a relationship with God. This once again goes with Paul's message that you cannot work your way into God's good graces and salvation. It is about your relationship to him and to love him. What God wants is circumcision of the heart, where we not only claim him as Savior, but Lord and Master, and we love him. And because we love him, we will do what is written in the law or in Scripture. The law will be written on our hearts, and we do this out of a holy fear, a a respect a reverence and awe and love for him. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. John 14, 15, uh, uh, John 14, verses 15 and 21 says, if you love me, these are Jesus's words. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Those of you who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. The word will in the Bible is very, very important because whenever God says, I will, he is making a promise. I will write my instructions on their hearts. This is why like, you can have somebody that like, maybe never went to church and accept Christ, and then all of a sudden they just, they're doing things differently. They can't ex- exactly explain it, They don't know why they're wanting to do things differently or they don't know why that certain thing feels weird now or they don't know why they just can't do those things anymore that they used to do. It's not because they have full knowledge of what the the scriptures say. It's because when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he writes his laws and his commandments on your hearts and he's in there saying, hey, don't do that. Hey, I want you to go over here. Hey, I'm proud of you. That was great. I want you to do this more, right? Like that's kind of what it is. So how can we apply all of this stuff that Paul is saying to us, especially, and once again, this is pointed at church people, church people, check your heart posture. Ask God if there is sin in your life that needs to be addressed and changed. We need to be called out so we can be called up. I'm going to say that again. We need to be called out so that we can be called up. We are never supposed to stay the same. We are supposed to go higher. We are built for something higher. When we have Christ, we are built for something better and bigger and higher. We need to be called upwards, not called on a plateau, not called downwards. So ask God if there's sin in your life. If there's somebody also in your church that you love, you trust and respect, ask them, is there something in me that I need to fix that that you might see that I don't? And then once again, as we looked in Proverbs, listen to the counsel and receive the instruction so that you may be wise later in life. There's many plans on a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. 
So listen to those counsels. And when, when the Lord tells you, get rid of this, get rid of it. Just obey and obey immediately. Then make a check to make sure you aren't obeying him out of necessity or just checking a box, but you're doing it because you love him. This is why we need to be in our word because the more that we're in our word, the more we see his amazing and his beautiful character, how he works, his beautiful mercy, his grace, his love. Like the more I read my Bible, I just fall deeper in love with him. And so it's easy for me to want to obey him because I love him, because I have that relationship with him. It's not about religion. It's about relate, excuse me, relationship. He wants your heart. If we just focus on behavior change and there's, there's no heart change, then we'll just keep up with fake good behavior, but that fake good behavior is eventually going to fail. And so we'll either go back to the way that we were living before or we'll be exposed, we'll be found out or something. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times there have been pastors who have had like secret affairs on their wife and they think like, oh, and it like went on forever and ever and ever, but eventually they got found out. So the fake good behavior is eventually going to fail and you're just going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to how I used to or it's going to be exposed and found out. But when there's a heart change, the behavior might not change immediately, but it is eventually going to change because the Holy Spirit is doing a work within within us. It's not necessarily just going to be a magic trick. It, sometimes he's doing a work in us. There were times he was working me over and over and over. He's like, no, you know, you said you want to get rid of this. We're going to get rid of it. And it's hard and it's, and it's painful at times, but my heart was changing for him. So the, so my behavior and the way I was living, the way I used to, the way I used to be, the way I used to talk, like it's eventually changing. Here's the thing. Like there's still stuff from my past that the Lord is still working on me to get rid of. For example, I used to have a potty mouth. Like I could out cuss a sailor. I'm getting, I'm so much better at it now, but there are still times where I throw around a word and it's taking time. And sometimes I just get so frustrated that I'm like, what's the point? Cause obviously it's not going to get better, but then it does. And I, I just repent. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm still trying. And so I'm getting there. Right. So that's something that I'm like currently working on. And it's not because, you know, I, I just want to cuss. I don't, I want to obey God. And, you know, some people might not have, you know, that a problem with that, but the Lord told me he wants me to stop. So I'm, I'm trying to be obedient because I love him. And I know that what he wants for me is best, but it's hard. Like that's a really hard habit to kick. And it's usually now, like when I get mad or I stub my toe, right? It's not like all the time, but it's still annoying when it's, when it slowly sneaks back, but I'm, I just repent and I just move forward because I, my heart is right with the Lord. My heart is for the Lord. And let me tell you this, it is easier to humble yourself before God than to be humbled by God. It's easier to come before him and be like, you know what? This is wrong in my life. I want you to help me with this. Show me what I need to work on. He's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Then to have him be like, you've been living a double life. I'm just going to put the smack down. I've been there. It is so not fun. It's very hard. And it's, it's very, um, 
humiliating in a way, not like that he wants to humiliate me, but it's just like, Oh my gosh, why didn't I just figure this out sooner? And it's, it's very hard to be humbled. So just come before him humbly check in on where you're at with God. And if your walk with him is off and just pray and ask him to redirect you, ask him for guidance. He's, he's going to give it to you. If you ask for wisdom, guidance, and knowledge, he will give it to you. He said that he will write his laws on your heart. So he will do it. He is a promise keeper. Every time you see the word will in your Bible, I want you to circle it where he says, I will, I will, I will. Because that is a promise from God to you, to us. And he is a promise keeper. He has never failed yet at keeping his promise. And he never will. You could try it. You could, you could wait. He's always going to fulfill his promises. He is a good and faithful God. And so I want to be a good and faithful servant to him. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not like, why were you such a jerk, but you called yourself a Christian? Why'd you call yourself a Christian? And I tried telling you where I wanted you to go, but you still didn't do it. Romans is huge on sacrificing your flesh which ultimately means denying what you want, your selfish desires, and and going after what God wants. So just pray and and ask God to to do like a little check-in. And he's just, he's just, he's, whatever is going to be called out is only so you can be called upwards. Onwards and upwards. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who, makes promises, and keeps them. Lord, I thank you for this person listening on the other side of my voice. Whatever they're doing, Lord, I pray that your your hand is upon them, and if they are not right with you, and they have a little pull on their heart that they want to be right with you, show them. Be there with them. Comfort them, and guide them into where you want them to go. Continue doing a work on my life, Lord. Continue to expose the sin that needs to be brought out in me so I can better serve you and serve your kingdom and serve your people. Lord, I love you so much. We love you so much. Help us be the followers of Christ you call us to be in your word. Help us to love you and obey you as you ask us to. Help us just grow that relationship with you. Help us forget our religious works, our religious deeds, our religious thoughts. And help us just want to grow with you and grow in love for you. And thank you for being a God that does not make us saved by earning it. Thank you for being a God that comes to us instead of making us work towards you. Thank you, Lord. In this I pray. Amen. Y'all, I hope you have a good week. If you have like any podcast suggestions, like if there's some subjects that you want me to speak on or you want to know about or you want me to talk on, just shoot me an email. My email is igstrusts at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. 
you know, there, we have a Facebook page, all that stuff. It's all, it's all there. Reach out. I'm always here for you guys. I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening and I will see you next week. Bye.